0: like that the blood of Jesus Jesus, correct we have been talking about the power of the blood of Jesus today is title number 13 13 powerful blessings we have so far in the blood of Jesus and we have few more to go amen so um let's recap real quick and then we'll jump back in um everybody I hope everybody has some of these notes because we're gonna go through a lot of scripture So, what was the first power that we have in the blood of Jesus that we discussed? Oh man, Wayne, you're (laughs) you're ruining the system. (laughs) Perfect, absolutely, forgiveness of sin. And that was from Hebrews chapter 9. Without the bloodshed, there is no forgiveness of sin. Amen. And the second blessing we had in the blood of Jesus was... Okay, okay, your, your system is, I'm, I'm, I'm thrown off now, I'm not sure where to look. <laughs> enter into the, exactly, Hebrews chapter 10, what does it say? We're going to read that scripture again today. We have confidence to enter into the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus, amen. And then number three, what is the third blessing we had in the blood of Jesus? New covenant. new covenant, exactly. One example for that is, for example, Luke 22. There's multiple, but Jesus, when he served communion, like what we're going to do later today, he took the, the, the cup and he said, this is my blood for the new covenant. You enter the new covenant by the blood of Jesus that was shed for many for the remission of sin, right? Amen. Number four, we are... Purchased by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And that is from Revelation chapter five, right? When the multitudes can stand before Jesus and say, You're worthy Lamb of God, to take the scroll, open it up. Why? Because you were slain and you have yes, if you know the scripture, say it with me. I want you guys to memorize it, okay? You were slain and you have purchased us. How? With your blood, right? To God our Father. Amen. So we've been purchased by the blood. Number five. We've been. Acquired. Before that. Oh acquired. Yeah, yeah acquired. We did acquired right after that. I'm, I'm, I'm off now. Acquired by the blood. God owned us. Possessed us. Because of the blood of Jesus. The scripture for that is. Acts 20:28. 20. 20, what did Paul say? To the elders of the church in Ephesus. Take very good care. Of the church of God, which he did what to it? He has acquired by the blood of his own. Amen. So that is Acts twenty twenty eight. Now number six. What is it? Redeemed, redeemed by the blood. And you, you're nailing it, Nancy. I like it. And that is from First Peter one eighteen nineteen. Right? What does it say? That we have not been redeemed with corruptible things. Like if you know it, say it with me. With corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct that we have inherited from our forefathers. What we have been redeemed with? We have been redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And number seven? Set free by the blood. We have been set free by the blood of Jesus. Correct. And that's revelation. Chapter 1, when it says, to him who loved us. That's the song they were singing to Jesus. To him who loved us so much so that he has set us free from our sins. How? By his blood or by your blood. Amen. So we have been set free by the blood of Jesus. And then we say that we are reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. And that is from Colossians chapter 1. Nineteen twenty, something like that. Perfect. What does it say? It says that you who were once alienated and enemies, he has reconciled. How? Making peace by the blood of his cross. We have been reconciled to God, and now we have peace with God. How? By the blood of the cross of Jesus. Amen? We've been reconciled, and then we have been brought near to the, by the blood of Jesus. And that's from? Ephesians chapter 2, 13, right? But now, I love that, I love that, but now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off, what happened to you? Have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ, amen? So we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And what else? We're getting there. We have been justified by the blood of Jesus. And that is from Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, you got it. What does it say? How much more now, having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved by Him from the wrath to come. Amen? And then, after that, we're almost 11 now, something like that. After we've been justified, there is power to do what? What, what next? That propitiation in the blood. We saw in Romans, exactly. Romans 3, 25, right? 21, yeah, I think. Uh, It says that God has displayed Christ publicly in front of the whole world as a propitiation. How? By His blood. And we said that means that in Christ, through the blood, God paid the judgment and the wrath of breaking the law of God, right? Propitiation, to pay off the debt that we owe the law of God, right? So that is propitiation in the blood. Now we're coming to the last one, right? Okay, what was the last one? Last uh, two weeks ago. Cleansed by the blood. Exactly. And that is from? First. Verse... Amen. It says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And what happens next? And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, does what? Cleanses us from how many sins? Amen. Amen. Are you guys excited about the power of the blood of Jesus? Amen. I love it. It's just every single aspect of sin God has dealt with through the blood of Jesus. Amen. Today, we're going to move on to number 13, and that is purification of our conscience by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Our conscience can be cleansed also by the blood. So, last week, we talked about cleansed by the blood. This week, purifying our conscience. So, we're in the... The general theme here is how the blood has cleansing powers to clean us. Okay, Last week, cleansed from sin's defilement. Today we're going to talk about being purified, our conscience being purified before God. And the scripture to that is from Hebrews 9, 9 to 14. We're going to read the whole passage, but we're going to just stop at two verses, really uh, make a comparison here. So here is what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying about the old tabernacle and the sacrificial system, um starting verse 9 he says this stuff which is symbolic for the present age the old tabernacle the sacrificial system is symbolic for the present age according to this arrangement gifts and sacrifices are offered that listen to this think of, let's read this together that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but then verse 10 he says but deal only with food and drink and various Uh, washings, regulation for the body imposed until the time of reformation, verse 11, I love that passage, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, that is not made of hand, that is not of this creation, he entered, how many times? Once. Once and for all, praise Jesus, once and for all, into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and cows, but by the means of what? His own blood. What happened to that? He thus securing an eternal redemption. Amen. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling, um, and the sprinkling of the the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified to the purification of the flesh. Verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, does what? Purify our conscience from dead work. To do what? To serve the living God. Amen? Let's read verse 14 altogether. This is so powerful. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, does what purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen? Amen. I just can go down and say That's a good message right there. Amen? I, I don't know what else you need to say. This is so powerful. Amen? Today we're going to talk about how our conscience has been purified because of the blood of Jesus. Or can be purified because of the blood of Jesus. I know I don't know if you guys remember. But last time we spoke from the book of Hebrews. We said that, that the major theme of the book of Hebrews is that it's the book of what? Better. That's the, the most common word in the whole book. Because the author of Hebrews wrote that book to Jewish people who became Christian, and now they want to go back to Judaism. So he's trying to tell them over and over and over again that Christianity is far much better than Judaism, right? Just a general ideas here. He started chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, saying that Jesus is better than the prophets, right? And then he went from verse 4 to almost all the end of chapter 2, saying that Jesus is better than the angels, right? Then chapter 3, Jesus is better than... Moses, chapter 4, Jesus is better than, man, you come and preach, man, (laughs) that's awesome, chapter 4, Jesus is better than Joshua, and then from chapter 5, all the way to chapter 9, I guess, he's arguing that the new covenant is better than the old covenant, and that Jesus is a high priest, is better than the old high priest, and over and over and over, remember, even in, in Hebrews chapter 10, when he talked about the punishment, he said that the when you, when you sin against the law of Moses, two or three witnesses, you die. How much worse is the punishment if you sin in the New Testament? So he's saying even the punishment is greater in the New, everything is greater in the New Testament. Amen? And our passage right here is, is, is the exact same thing. He's saying the exact same idea. Something is better than something. And that's, we read verse 13 and 14. Let's read it together. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a high sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Now look at verse 14, the starting. How much more? So something is better than that, right? How much more is the blood of Christ? Because the blood of Christ, unlike the blood of of bulls and goats and all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, doesn't cleanse the outside flesh, it purifies our conscience. Amen? So, what we're going to do today, we're just going to focus on verse 9 and verse 14. That's where the two verses, the word conscience, is mentioned. This is a massive passage, we're not going to go through all of it. We're just going to try to focus on, very narrowly here, how the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. Amen? So let's go back to verse 9. That's why he's let's read it together. Which is symbolic. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered and now let's read this together. That cannot perfect the conscience of the worship, right? Worshipper, right? And then in verse 14, he jumps and says, but the blood of Jesus can purify our conscience, right? So let's just look at these two comparisons. How, in verse 9, he says that the sacrificial system of the Old Testament cannot cleanse our conscience, but the blood of Jesus can. Let's start with the word worshiper that he said in verse 9 here. The, um, the blood you know, of goats and bull cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Now the word worshiper here, there is a couple of Greek words for it in the New Testament. This particular word is primarily means to serve, to work for hire. It's literally oh, comes from similar word is letraz, which literally means servant. And honestly, like reading through different translations yesterday, it's it's surprising to me that a lot of the translations had the word worshiper. I think New King James got it right this time um, because, both, because right here it says the one who served in the New King James. So King, New King James talks about service more than worshiping. And even though the Greek word here is primarily as a servant, it definitely has the connotation of worshiping. So it's not like a wrong translation or anything like that. But I honestly don't think it's the most accurate translation to what the, the author of Hebrews is trying to say here. He's saying that the blood of and bulls of the New Testament cannot cleanse, cannot purify, cannot perfect the conscience of the one who is serving God, right? Now, when he says serving God, he's not just talking about the, the unique priests of the Old Testament who are called to serve God. This verse applies to the body of Christ in general, because we, uh, we as believers, every single one is called to serve God, amen? So today, this power, this particular power of the blood of Jesus, it is not really related to the lost and how they can come close to God. This is more related to who? The one who is serving God, right? Which means the body of Christ, the church, every single one who is washed by the blood already and already uh, have been reconciled to God by the blood. This blood has a different, another advantage to them is that it can cleanse their conscience before God. Amen? So today is not really a salvation message, it's more for the church. Just like last week when he said the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins, all sins, that also John wrote that for the church as well, not just for the world. Amen? So today, this particular power of the blood is applicable to those who want to serve God or are serving God, who are already his children. But number two, it's very interesting what he, the word he used here. He said it cannot, this sacrificial system of the Old Testament cannot perfect the conscience of the one who is serving. So he's using this particular, particular unique word, he's saying perfect the conscious, right? He's not saying that these sacrifices are too short to make your conscious okay, or make your conscious acceptable, or make your conscious pass the minimum requirement, right? He said that the requirement really is that if you want to come and serve God, your conscious need to be what? Perfect. It has to be 100%. 99% 99% doesn't cut it when you're trying to approach God as far as your conscience and how it feels. It, you need your conscience and your relationship with God need to be perfect. And that's in a way the general theme that the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. He's saying that the relationship between the believer and God need to be Perfect. Look at that. In Hebrews, uh, 7, 11 to 19. We're gonna skip through some verses. But I just want you to notice the words he's, he's saying here. He's saying, if what? Perfect. Perfection. So the goal is what? Perfection of the relationship between the believer and God. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, oh, that's the Old Testament, and indeed the law, uh, and indeed the law given to the people, established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One on the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. So here, the author of Hebrews is arguing why we need a better priest, high priest, than the old one. And the reason is, the old high priest could not provide what for us? Perfection in our relationship with God. And if we skip to verse 18, he says this, the former regulation is set... It's Asi- set aside because it was weak and useless, verse 19, for the law made what? Nothing perfect. Again, he's saying that the goal of the relationship between the believer and God is perfection. Everything needs to be whole, complete and perfect. And in our verse right here, in chapter 9, verse 9, he's narrowing down that perfection in terms of that conscious of the one who is worshiping. Does that make sense? So he's saying here, if, if you want to serve God, you can serve God in so many ways. I know for me, like, if I committed a sin sometime, and I'm like trying to preach. I know the Satan comes and accuses my conscience. Like, you gotta stand before people and you're gonna tell them about Christ. And I know that my conscience is guilt, I feel the guilt, and I feel man, I really didn't pray enough. I really didn't do good enough. I really sinned this week. I did wrong to Katrina, or whatever the case is, and I feel that guilt, right? But in order for us to serve God, and you don't have to be preaching when I say serving God. You, ha- you want to have that perfect conscience that you know, that you know, that you know, that you are in perfect peace and there's no guilty conscience that you're bearing within. Amen? So that is the ultimate goal. We need our conscience to be perfect. Too bad that the Old Testament sacrificial system could not accomplish that for us. Amen? Now, let's look at the word conscious. Because he said in verse 9 that the Old Testament sacrifices could not perfect the conscience of that worshiper. Now, The word conscious actually has Greek roots, not Hebrew roots, okay? It is very interesting. I did not know that. The Old Testament Hebrew doesn't have the word conscious. The whole Old Testament, the word doesn't even exist. There is no such a thing as conscious in the biblical Hebrew. But the word comes more from the Greeks. That's why we see the word in the New Testament, but we really don't see it in the Old Testament at all. Uh, this great book, I have the footnote here, you can look it up, but the reasoning behind that is this, okay? In the Jewish mindset, the knowledge of good and evil doesn't come from your inward compass. It comes from knowing the law of God, okay? So because of that mindset, they really didn't use the word conscious at all, because for for them, everything is about Knowing the law of God. And once you know the law of God, that will guide you to know what is right and what is wrong, right? For example, Psalm 48. Let's just read that one. Here's what the psalmist say: I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is what? Within my heart. Is within my heart. What the psalmist is saying here, not... My conscience is within my heart that is trying to drive me to do the right thing. It is what? Your law that is in my heart. And because your law is in my heart, it shows me what is right and what is wrong. And that is where the knowledge of right and wrong come from in the Jewish mindset. Amen? And then if we move on, like let's look at the Septuagint, the last LXX. This is the Greek translation, okay? This is the Greek translation to the Hebrew Bible before Christ. So like, I I can't remember when exactly, but definitely before Jesus was born, 70 Jewish scholars got together in Alexandria, Egypt, and they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek before Christ. And this is such a valuable translation for us for so many reasons. For one, it tells us what the Jews understood when they read the old testament scripture how did they understand it before christ you know did they see this as a prophecy or did they see this as something that has immediate fulfillment you know so it is amazingly valuable translation not right all the time but it gives us a very pretty good insight on how the jewish people in the very early church when jesus was born how did they understand the scripture so this one verse, for example, Job 27.6, this is what um, the actual Hebrew says, My heart reproaches none of my day. This is what Job said. But the Septuagint, when they translated that, they replaced it to the word conscious. They translated to my conscious reproaches, not of my day. And that was the first time we see the the Greek word showing up in in the Bible, you know. And they translated because they went after the meaning, not after the letter of what Job was trying to say, right? So again, over and over, we don't see the word in, in the Hebrew Bible at all. Having said that, even the word is not in the actual Bible, we do see multiple examples in the Old Testament how the guilty conscience is such a heavy burden that is holding us from approaching and knowing God. Amen? Let's take a couple of examples. First example, Adam and Eve. Think about it. Adam and Eve. Once they fall in sin in Genesis chapter 3, what happens to them? They run away from God, right? And God comes after them, Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam say, I heard your voice and I ran away to hide myself. Why? Why did you do that, Adam? Because I am naked. Do you see that his consciousness of sin and what he has done and the guilt that he's bearing, he he broke the law of God and he feels the effect of that. That was the first Fruit of sin in the human race. Do you realize that? Adam and Eve was not punished yet by God, right? They were still in the garden. They were not kicked out. And they were still physically alive, right? They didn't, haven't died yet. But the very first consequences in chronological order, the very first effect that we see from sin is what? A guilty conscience. And that guilty conscience held back Adam and Eve from being with God fellowshipping with him. They had to run away from him because they had that guilty conscience. They know they broke the law and they know they're guilty before a holy and righteous God. Amen? Amen. But example number two, we read, for example, 2 Samuel 2410. We touched base on that story a few weeks ago when David counted the people so he can know their numbers. Look at this. Um, That was a sin because he was now depending on... The might of his nation, not the power of God. So 2 Samuel 24.10, the Bible says, But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. See, it doesn't say the word conscious, again. But it tells us that there is inward guilt feeling that happened to David when he has numbered the people and he knew that he has sinned against God. Amen? Amen. So that is the guilty conscience, And I know, again, for myself, it is One of the worst things to have, especially if you want to serve God, Satan just keeps pounding on that over and over and over again, and it just makes you feel so bad to the point that you don't even want to serve God because you don't feel that you're worthy or deserve to serve God. Amen? Now, in the New Testament, it's a different story. The word conscience was used multiple times, and we know clearly from the New Testament that sin does defile our conscience. This is Titus 1.15. Here is what Paul said. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their what? Minds and their consciousness, consciousness are defiled. So what Paul here is telling us is point blank, right to the point. Sin defiled your consciousness. Sin makes your conscience feel so guilty that if you are serving God, if you want to worship God, if you want to be so close to God, because of the guilt that you're bearing within, you feel unworthy that you cannot appro- approach God and you are defiled. Your conscience is defiled and your mind is defiled before God. Amen? So let's just recap here. What's the problem, okay, with, with having a guilty conscience? Three-folds so far. Number one, here is... The magnitude of how sin can defile our conscience and make us guilty before God. Number one, we know sin defiles the conscience. So sin actually can stain our conscience and make it feel guilty. That's number one. Number two, what really needed to be happening is unattainable because we need to have a perfect relationship with God, right? That's why he said in, in, in verse 9 that. The relationship, the conscience of the, of the worshiper, that the servant, need to be perfected, right? So the conscience needs to be perfected on one hand. It has to be 100% pure. On the other hand, sin does defile our conscience. And number three, the means are insufficient, right? Like in the Old Testament, for example, he's saying that all the sacrifices could not, cannot, purify the conscience of the one who's serving God, who want to worship God, right? So there is no sufficient means to for the guilty conscience that you and I have because of sin can actually ever reach that stage of having perfection in our relationship with God, right? Another example, Hebrews 10.1, he says pretty much the same thing. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, and instead of the true forms of these realities, it can, look at this, never It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect what? The man who, the one who draws near. So the author of Hebrews is telling us point blank. The means are insufficient, the goals are unattainable, and sin is keep staining our conscience that we can do nothing about it. This is bad, 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 right? Right? (laughs) But there are some good news. Ready for it? Let's read verse 14 together. Here is what the author of Hebrews say. How much more, amen, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, does what? Purify our conscience from dead work to serve the living God, amen. The good news is this. There is so much power in the blood of Jesus that it can cleanse the guiltiest of all conscious. That the most guiltiest of all is still able to serve, not a dead God, right? The living God. Amen? This is the power of the blood of Jesus. Let's just take a a couple of quick looks here. It says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from what? Purifies our conscience from what? Yeah, no, in that verse, right here, verse 14. Let's read it again, the very last part. Uh, purify our conscience from what? Dead. dead works, so we can serve the living God. It purifies our conscience from dead works. Now, what did the author of Hebrews mean by dead works? He's obviously talking about sin, and it seems from the context that he's, not, he's talking about works that lead to death. Okay, so that's more like what he's trying to say, rather than the words did works, he's trying to say de- uh, works that lead to death, i.e. sin that can lead you to die if you try to approach the living God. The NIV has that translation, I think they nailed this one, they got it right, I think that's what's in the mind of the author, okay, that this is sins that lead you to die if you try to approach the living God. We have a, a, an allusion to that in the Old Testament from the book of Numbers, uh, 1920. Here is what the book of Numbers says. Here is what God says. If the man who is unclean, again, he's saying that our conscience is defiled and we cannot come close to the living God. Now in Numbers 1920 it says, If the man who is unclean does not cleanse himself, that person shall happen, what happened to him? Shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly. Why? Since he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. So we have an example in the Old Testament. God is saying, if you are defiled, just as sin defiles your conscience, you're trying to get into the sanctuary of the Lord, you got to die, there is some sins that defile, there is sin that defile us that if we try to approach the living God, what's going to happen to us? we're going to die, right? but hallelujah to the blood of Jesus right? the blood of Jesus is all powerful that is actually able to cleanse us and purify our conscience from these very sins that lead to death, so we can approach and serve the living God, Amen? amen? amen Last point I want to bring up here is um, the word to serve the living God. The words that he uses here in verse 14 is actually the exact same Greek word that he uses in verse 9. When he says, it cannot cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. The word worshiper, the exact same Greek word he used again here in verse 14. He says to serve, the servant of the living God. That's why I think the word serve is actually better um, translation in both verses verse 9 and verse 14 and you see now how the author of Hebrews has solved the problem for us right In verse 9 he says you cannot serve God why because you have a guilty conscience and because sin cannot because the, the old testament sacrificial system cannot cleanse your conscience make it perfect so you can serve God right but he solved that problem for us in verse 14. And he said that the blood of Jesus is far more powerful than any blood could ever have been shed in the past. That this very blood of Jesus can cleanse your conscience. And now you are able to serve the living God. Amen? Amen? And it gets even better and better. Let's just look at a couple of more examples where the author of Hebrews took about our conscience. Let's look at Hebrews 10one to 4. Let's... Let's look what he says here about the Old Testament sacrificial system. He said, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of this reality, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who are drawing near, or those who draw near. Verse 2, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? He's saying, if, if the sacrifice can actually cleanse the conscious of the one who's drawing near, who's serving God, who's worshiping God, then you don't have to offer it anymore. The very fact that you keep on offering sacrifices is because it doesn't offer permanent cleansing to the, to the conscious, right? Every single time there's a sacrifice, oh, you feel good for a day or two because the sacrifice just died. Three days later, your conscience, you sin again, and your conscience is guilty again, and you cannot approach the living God again. Amen. That's why you have to keep on offering these sacrifices. Um, and then he continues and says, Since the worshipers or the servants, having once Being cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. This is awesome. He's saying if there is a way that the worshiper can be cleansed once and for all. Then guess what's going to happen to that worshiper. He will no longer feel the consciousness and the guilt and the shame of sin. Amen. And in a way what the author of Hebrews is saying here is this. Because the Old Testament sacrifices were so weak to do that, the other side is also true, right? If blood of Jesus is well able to cleanse our conscience once and for all, that if your conscience is cleansed in the blood of Jesus, then you will have no more consciousness of sin, amen? Once you put your trust in the power of the blood of Jesus, and you know that you know that you know that the blood is far much more powerful than any sin you can have ever committed, you can enter into the Holy place with confidence because you know it is not you it is the blood of Jesus amen amen let's read that last passage Hebrews 10:19 to 20 we read this before but let's look at it again therefore brothers since we have what confidence To enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We preached that before. By the new and living way that he has opened for us through the veil. The curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Because you have the confidence in the blood. Because we have a great high priest like Jesus. Verse 22. Let us draw near with our With a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our heart, how happened to it? Sprinkled clean from what? An evil conscience. Question, how is the heart sprinkled? Sprinkled with what? We ask the author of Hebrews. Guess what he's going to say to us? The blood of Jesus. Amen. Because the blood of Jesus can cleanse our very inward parts, our hearts, from an evil, guilty, and wicked conscience. Now, and only now, we have confidence to enter into the very holy places and worship the living God. Amen? Amen. Amen. I don't know about you. I know this benefit is just amazing to me in my daily life with God. Amen. I know I can stand before you today and preach, even though I might not have been perfect. You know, but I know that the blood of Jesus makes me perfect before a holy God. Amen. And again, I'm not condoning sin. I'm not saying, all right, go sin as much as you want. There is the blood of Jesus. I'm not saying that, right? We have to strive against sin, the Bible says. What I'm saying is this. If you do sin, and guess what? We all well, right? If sin beat you up one time, I have some good news for you. Amen? If you just come to the blood of Jesus and put your trust in the power of that blood, then you still can keep on serving the living God, even though you might have messed up, because the blood of Jesus is far more powerful. It can cleanse your conscience once and for all. Amen? So next time that Satan comes to you and accuse your conscience, accuse you before your conscience that you don't deserve to, to serve God, I want you to quote verse fourteen to him verbatim. Okay, let's all read it together. Amen. But how much more were the blood of Jesus who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifies our conscience from dead work to serve the living God. Amen? You tell him, shut up, Satan, and you just quote that verse for him. Amen? All right, let's all close our eyes and pray. Amen. You have a question? Yes. Yes. Yes, with purified water. Absolutely.